How's everyone doing? How's everyone doing? Doing awesome? Come on, come on. So this um, this series has really been, it's been absolutely incredible. I've really enjoyed this series um, at the table. And so I just want to give a, a brief, um, just kind of just talk about real briefly the past few weeks. And so Pastor in week one talked about that there's a place at the table for you. You know, that's, inc- that's, that's very important to know that there's a place at the table for us. I even want to say, you know, it's important for us to understand our place at the table. Oftentimes, we want to take the last seat at the table, and the Lord's saying, no, I want you to sit right next to me. So we need to understand our place at the table as well. And as well, um, Michelle talked about Thanksgiving, living from a place of thankfulness. And then she talked about how thankfulness um, brings increase. You know, she talked about the fish and the loaves. Thankfulness brings increase. You know, that's a very important key. So I really love how this series has really been. It's very been just really talking about found, uh, foundational keys as well. And then last week, Pastor talked about how war starts from a place of rest. It doesn't start from a place of strife. It doesn't start from a place, you know, it's, it's a place of rest. And when we know where our foundation is in God, we know which battle is ours to fight. I'm going to say that again. When we know where our foundation is, that our foundation is in God, then we know which battle is ours to fight. We don't have to fight for something that we already have when we know where our foundation is. And so I just want to um, just open it up for, for Michelle. She has an incredible word. So just give it up for Michelle real quick. Love you guys. And look, I have my voice back. Praise God. Y'all aren't um, listening to the macho on um, Marco Polo this week. And so um, this week we're talking about a place of nourishment at the table and how he is our nourishment. And um, so funny, I am, I, we have this thing around our house where we say, we do not like Christmas, we love Christmas. And if you know us, like, I mean, it's like, it's been this thing for like years. Like we absolutely love Christmas around our house. We love everything about like it, just from making cookies to pe- inviting people over and uh, celebrating things and um, to, the, to the gifts, like I love good gifts and giving good gifts. And, um, and so one of the things that um, in 2005, it was um, my grandma died right before Katrina and, um, in, in 2005. And one of the things that reminds me of Christmas was her bread. And I don't know if you guys grew up like that. Like, I mean, she started weeks in advance to make the sourdough bread. And, um, and it would rise, and she was putting it in, you know, like a, like a dark place and all this stuff. And so when she passed away, we were like, okay, we are making her bread for Christmas. And, um, <laughs> and so we started making the bread and realized, like, okay, we are not doing a good job. I mean, it came out like bricks. I mean, it was the craziest thing. So then the next year rolled around, and we're like, we are making her bread. You know, like, this reminds us of Christmas. Well, come to find out, she had written it down for three of us, the recipe. Well, all three recipes are different. <laughs> 
And so literally, we completely gave up. I mean, after a few years of giving, like, of trying to make the bread and trying out all three recipes, we're like, she obviously didn't want us to know the secret ingredient to the recipe. But thank God, Jesus is not like that. <laughs> Thank God. But it is, it's such a memory of like, gosh, I wish we could totally remake her bread, but we can't. So anyway, um, you guys, did everybody get a passion translation in John? They were giving them out at the door. Merry Christmas. Merry Christ- I told you we like giving good gifts. Um, you can go ahead and go to John chapter 6. And we are going to go through some serious scripture today because guess what? We love the word of God. We love the word of God. And the word of God is such power, right? And so and as you're, as you're flipping to John verse 6, I mean chapter 6, we all know the the recited prayer and we recite it but it's really just a template of our father and we can just say it all together our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and we can just stop there Because we're talking about our daily bread. And see here, bread is a metaphor that Jesus provides emotional nourishment for our bodies. That he provides our physical nourishment. And that he provides our spiritual nourishment. And so in John chapter 6, I'm just going to paraphrase for time reasons. Um, but in John chapter 6, we start with the fact that, and we've talked about this one before, that he multiplied the loaves and the fishes. And see, they had been with Jesus for three days, and he's like, I cannot send these people away. I cannot send them away fasting like this because they're too weak. They've been with me. And if you underline anything in that, it says they were attracted by his miracles and the healings that they watched him perform. You can underline that in your John. And I'll say this as well. You know that the Passion Translation is on version. Just FYI, I don't know if you knew that. And so you can follow along on your phone as well um, on version. And so they were attracted to his miracles. They, they, he was healing bodies. And not only was he healing physical ailments to bodies, but then he was also concerned about their physical nourishment of their body. And so you see here, two weeks ago when we talked about the loaves and the fishes, in Matthew, they talk, there's two instances where he multiplied the loaves and the fishes. This is the first instance where he multiplied the loaves and the fishes. And there's really no rhyme or reason. There was 5,000 men, not including women and children. There was five loaves, two fish on the first instance with 12 baskets left over. On the second instance in Matthew, it says that there was 4,000 men, seven loaves, a few fish, maybe three, and seven baskets left over. There's no rhyme or reason except that he can take whatever resource that you have in your hand, 
and he cares about the resource. See, I think we get in our minds so often that he only cares about the spiritual, that he only maybe even cares about the soul, and we're going to get to the soul in a second. But he cares about your physical body, and we see that because he took 39 stripes on his back so that you could be healed. He cares about the physical body. And I think we have this really bad doctrine in the church that says that do not seek his, do not seek his hand, only seek his face. Now, have you heard that? Like, we say that. We say, like, just seek his face. And as noble as that sounds, I love how Bill Johnson says, Bill Johnson says, well, if you seek his hand and you get his hand, just look up and his face is right there. Amen. Just look up and his face is right there. So he cares about your physical body. Oftentimes we get we get locked into that we don't have the resources available. We look we we look at the resources, but you can see in both of those instances where he multiplied the loaves and the fish, and see this whole thing about John six is that it's in chronological order as to how things happen. So here he has this incredible miracle on the on the side of the mountain. They the loaves and the fishes are divided, and then he has twelve baskets left over. He tells the disciples gather up the 12 baskets, one for each disciple, and I want you to go across the lake. So he sends them into a storm. And while he sends them into a storm, what does he do? He goes to the side of the mountain, and he gets alone with the Father. See, because sometimes after, and this goes into the soul realm of how Jesus wants to be nourishment, not only for our physical body now, but now he wants to be nourishment for our soul. And what is your soul? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. Say, my mind, my will, and my emotions. He cares about your soul. And see, the thing is, we can do all this in ministry. We can, we can go feed. In two weeks, we could go feed the homeless in New Orleans. But then you need to get away, and you can see all these incredible miracles. And you can see how God is going to multiply our efforts because that's who he is. But then you need to get away from the crowd and get alone with the Father, because if you don't, there's times when pride can set in, and you think you did it in your own, in your own physical ability, and you, there's no way that you could do it. So when we get alone with him, he then keeps us humble. But then you have the other scenario where he's sending the disciples into the storm. He knows it's a storm. Have you ever felt like Jesus completely sent you into a storm? Oh my gosh. Like, Lord, what are you doing? And this is the same instance in Matthew that Jesus came walking on water. He walked 
on top of the waves because every storm he is walking on top of. And so he's walking on top, and this is the instance. It's not in John, but it's in Matthew where Peter's like, God, if that's you, bid me come. And so Jesus reached out his hand so that Peter could walk on water too. But how often do we, do we get in the middle of a storm, and we know God sent us into the middle of the storm, but it's like, at this instance, it's like four in the morning. And all of a sudden, it's like, it doesn't matter what time of day it is. Like when, like when Allison's saying, when the darkness tries to come in, it doesn't matter what time of day it is. He's going to come, and he is going to walk on the waves of the storm. And I think sometimes that he sends us into the storm just so that we can see that he provides for our soul in the middle of the storm. And that he is so faithful to rescue us in the middle of the storm. And how often is it that we even, we're not even, we're the ones who created the storm. (laughs) We created our own storm or the enemy created a storm. But if we have a line in the sand where we know he is faithful to rescue me in the middle of the storm, that even in the storm I created, I can say, God, forgive me for creating this storm. Can you now walk on the storm? Because he's so faithful to rescue us. He is faithful to nourish our souls. And he knows how to speak peace to your storm. It's so cool because even when we can, we, if we have this line in the sand of knowing that he is our rescuer and he speaks peace in that storm, it's like even when people reject you, he heals the soul by saying you're accepted. So even when you're emotionally spent from, from ministry, from doing good, you're emotionally spent, he speaks words of refreshing. When people are falsely accusing you, he speaks truth to your soul. When people betray us, he says, baby girl, I was too. I was betrayed too. And I'm going to give you power so that you can forgive them. And when fear tries to come in, his perfect love comes straight to our souls to calm the storm. This is what I call, like, our time of emotional eating. How often do we get like this? Because we haven't gotten alone with him. We didn't get away. And we go to the refrigerator. And for you, it might be something else. It might be cigarettes. It's all, there's always some kind of emotional attachment to something when our storms come. And it's interesting because psychology today said that two reasons for emotional eating is the inability to tolerate difficult feelings. And number two, that you use it as your pleasure because it was like I had nothing else to look forward to at the end of the day. And it was a hard day. 
There was nothing to look forward to, so I ate the bowl of ice cream. So, but so often that we are trying to, I feel like we, we just try and substitute what was really meant to be where we just got alone with him. And he's becking in us instead of going to the refrigerator and doing the emotional eating thing, that he's becking in us into a place of come to me and let me restore your soul and nourish your soul. He's so good at it. He's so good at it. So we've talked about the body and how he delights in nourishing our body. And we've talked about the soul and how he delights in restoring our soul. Now the third is the spirit, and he wants to exchange our spirit for his spirit. And so this is where we're going to start. John chapter 6, verse 25. Okay, so the progression is he fed the multitudes. He sent the disciples across the lake. And they are looking for Jesus everywhere. And they're like, where is he? And it's the next morning. They're trying to find Jesus. They can't find him. So they finally find him. And this is where we start. And it says, when they finally found him, they asked him, teacher, how did you get here? Verse 25, teacher, how did you get here? I wish he totally would have told them at that moment, like, well, I walked on the waves, I got in the boat, and we were immediately transported to the other side. But he didn't say that. Um, but the thing about if, you're, if they are calling him teacher, what does that mean that you need to be able to do? Be teachable. Be teachable. And so you're calling him teacher, so now how teachable are you? <laughs> And so we go to verse 26. Jesus replied, let me make this very clear. You came looking for me because I fed you by a miracle, not because you believe in me. Why would you strive for food that is perishable and not be passionate to seek the food of eternal life, which never spoils I, the Son of Man, am ready to give you what matters most, for God the Father has destined me for this purpose. They replied, so what should we do if we want to do God's work? And he replied, Jesus answered, the work you can do for God starts with believing in the one he has sent. So the first thing that we do when we want him to nourish our spirit, and you can circle this word, is believing. In 29, it starts with believing. You see, they were trying to do something that's works. It's not works. It's belief. And it starts there with believing in the one who he sent. So then we go on to John 6, 30 through 36. They replied, show us a miracle so that we can see it and then we'll believe in you. Moses took care of our ancestor, ancestors who were fed by the miracle of manna every day in the desert. Just like the scripture says, he, fe he fed them with bread from heaven. What sign will you perform for us? So... Didn't you see that I, did, I multiplied the loaves and the fishes? 
Didn't you see that the, the miracle that I just performed the day before? And what are you doing? You're asking me for another miracle. See, because there's sometimes when we need to not ask for another miracle, but just do what he just said and believe. It's a decision that you make that I am going to believe even though I don't see the miracle yet. Amen. The truth is, he said, Moses didn't give you the bread of heaven. So he's setting the stage right. He's like, they're, they're giving all this credit to Moses. He's like, Moses didn't give you the bread of heaven. It's my father who offers bread that comes as a dramatic sign from heaven. The bread of God is the one who came out of heaven to give his life to feed the world. Then please, sir, give us this bread every day, they replied. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Come every day to me. And you will never be hungry. Believe in me, and you will never be thirsty. Yet I've told you, even though you've seen me, you still don't believe. So I want you to circle where it says in 35, come every day to me. So often I feel like there's this powerlessness in the church where we only get fed on Sundays. I'm not getting fed is powerless because you have the word of God. You have the presence of God that surrounds you. You should be nourished daily. Give us this day our daily bread. So you see, it's not about just knowing that the bread will satisfy your hunger. It's not head knowledge of just knowing that he'll satisfy it. And oftentimes we just, we want to take a selfie with the bread. <laughs> we just maybe want to wear the bread on a t-shirt. Your bumper sticker might have, please don't. If you drive bad, please do not put Jesus on your bumper sticker. Um, like that is bad publicity for Jesus. Um, you might want to post the bread on your social media account, but that is not partaking of the bread where you actually consume him, consume the word, surround yourself by the presence of God. Let him be Lord of everything where he nourishes every fiber of your being. So John 47, we can skip down to 47. Okay, so when he says, like, I am the bread of life, this is just FYI, this is starts his series of the I am's. I mean, just so you know, like you can kind of clearly, this starts, I, he starts with like where he says, I, I am that I am. And it's like, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. And so he goes on from here on out. He talks about who he is. And so, um, so they start grumbling because they're like, dude, who do you think you are? Like, really? Like, do you truly think that you're going to say that you are the bread of life? 
And so he says, I speak to you living truth. Unite your hearts to me and believe, and you will experience eternal life. I am the true bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the desert and died. But standing here before you is the true bread that comes out of heaven. And when you eat this bread, you will never die. I alone am the living bread that has come to you from heaven. Eat this bread and you will live forever. The living bread I give you is my body, which I will offer as a sacrifice so that all can live. These words, Jesus sparked an angry outburst among the Jews. They protested, saying, does this man expect us to eat his body? And so he's like, I love his reply. Like, not only are you going to eat my body, but you're going to drink my blood. (laughs) I love that. I love that. And said, unless you eat the body of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will not have eternal life. Eternal life comes to the one who eats my body and drinks my blood, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my body is real food for your spirit, and my blood is real drink. The one who eats my body and drinks my blood lives in me, and I live in him. The Father of life sent me, and he is my life. I, in the same way, the one who feeds upon me will become his life. I will become his life. I am not like the bread your ancestors ate and later died. I am the living bread that comes from heaven. Eat this bread and you will live forever. So the second thing that we must do in order for him to nourish our spirit is that we have to receive by faith all that Jesus did for us by giving his body and all the blood did for us that he purchased for us. You see, he doesn't give us breadcrumbs. He gives us the bread of life. And he's so satisfying. Those of you who know him well, you know how he satisfies everything that you need. It's not like our mortal bodies where we have to constantly give it food, give it drink. He's this everlasting fountain in us, everlasting nourishment to us, and he's the only one who can sustain us. So John 6, 63, he says, are you offended over my teaching? What will you do when you see the Son of Man ascending into the realm from where he came? Are you offended over this? Sometimes Jesus offends us. Has Jesus ever offended you? Sometimes he says, uh, no to that. Uh, let me just re- rewire that thinking. And sometimes we just want to edit the Bible. We want to edit it. But that's not the way that works. When he becomes Lord of our life, when he becomes Lord of our life, we say, okay, you're not the one that's wrong, Jesus. I'm the one that's wrong. So John 6, 63, and this is our last thing that we need to do to nourish our spirit. And it says, the Holy Spirit is the one who comes, the one who gives life. That which is of the natural realm is of no help. The words I speak to you are spirit and life, but there are still some who come who won't believe. So the third thing that we need to do to nourish our spirit is to receive the spirit of God. 
You see, a thousand walked away. I mean, thousands walked away. Some commentaries say it was literally the all 5,000 that was on the mountainside walked away when he spoke truth to them. Then there's others like that it goes down to say that he even at this point knew that Judas would betray him. So Judas had all the appearance of knowing the bread, taking selfies with the bread. But he betrayed him in the end. And then you have the other scenario where at the end of the story it says that everybody walks away and he's telling the disciples, do you want to walk away too? And Peter says, where else could I go? You're the only one who has words of eternal life. Where else could I go? And so I just feel like there's some people in here that there needs to be a decision that needs to be made. That it's not just about knowing him. And the good works that he does in allowing him to just heal your mortal body. Or maybe even your soul. Let him speak to your soul. But there's one step further. And that is allowing his spirit to come into your spirit. And it's just a decision. It's just a decision is all that it is. Like... God, where else could I go? Where else could I go? Because you are the only one that can nourish me like this, and you're the only one who could sustain me like this. Who else multiplies the food? Who else rescues us in the storm? Who else can provide peace like you do? Nobody. Nobody. And so with this said, and let me preference this by, although, because you could get it mixed up with, or if I take the bread and the body in communion, that that would mean that I, it's an, it's my salvation. I can see where you can read and, and make those dots. But this instead is a, I made the decision, and now I said, where else could I go, God? And then I take communion as a response to that decision. So as we prepare the table this morning to receive communion, and y'all can come. Um, We go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, and it says, Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're retelling the story, proclaiming your Lord's death until he comes. For this reason, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in the wrong spirit will be guilty of dishonoring the body and the blood of the Lord. So let each individual first evaluate his own attitude and then, and only then eat the bread and drink the cup. 
For continually eating and drinking with the wrong spirit will bring judgment upon yourself by not recognizing the body. I think it's something in communion that we often don't talk about is that it's important that we first evaluate our attitude, evaluate that making sure that we are recognizing the body. And here we're not only talking about the body that Christ gave on a cross and was beaten for you, but the body of Christ that he did it for. So often we come with offenses when it's still the body of Christ that he was beaten for. And we have to evaluate and make sure that we are honorably recognizing the body. Because just like we talked about, the one sitting next to you could be your very miracle. And we all have a part in the body of Christ. And he paid a huge price so that we could all have a part. It says, this insensitivity is why many of you are weak, chronically ill, and some even dying. If you do not sit in judgment of others, you will avoid judgment yourself. So when we don't judge the one sitting next to us, we choose to forgive the one sitting next to us that has offended us. We're recognizing and honoring the body honorably how he wanted us to. So I just want us to take a moment and just evaluate, God, if there's anything in me. If there's anything in me, God. First, if there's anything in me, God, that I have not made that decision yet, where I say, where else could I go, God? Where else could I go, God, but to you? Lord, I just want to make that decision today, God. I want to make that decision that I am all in, God. I am all in for you, God. Nowhere else offers this life, God, this eternal life. So if there's any part of me, God, that that is like the 5,000 that left you, God, I just, Lord, I'm making a decision today that it is you and I. I am all in, God. there's any part of me, God, that that has not recognized the body that you shed, the 39 stripes on your back, the nails through your hands, God, there's something in me that has not recognized and honored that, God, search me.